0: never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the the free market voice of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with
1: Gary Rathbun.
2: This is our country.
1: Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathbun. Got a great show for you. Uh, Tonight, Dr. Betsy McCoy is going to be joining me a little later in the show. As you know, she is the leading expert on Obamacare in regards to uh, the law itself and in relation to the Constitution. She's going to be joining us talking a little bit about the Supreme Court ruling uh, supporting Obamacare. We didn't talk about that uh, last week. I wanted to get a hold of Betsy first and and uh, see what she had to say. So she'll be joining us uh, at the bottom of the hour. And uh, uh, I hope, I hope you had a great 4th of July. Um, I take this very, very seriously. I, I, I often reflect about our liberty and how the country came to be and where we are now. And in that vein, I wanted to talk about few of the other Supreme Court rulings that came out. Everybody was looking at the big, big bonfire of Obamacare and gay marriage. Like I said before, the Obamacare ruling didn't really phase me. One, it didn't surprise me. Two, nothing changed the the day after the ruling. It, it just confirmed it. Uh, the gay marriage issue, once again, um, that, that is, I'm fairly agnostic uh, on that ruling. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't doesn't change uh, the country or my life uh, in a way. But what I did want to touch on a couple of the other rulings, one was uh, Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles versus Patel. And this was a very, very important ruling on the Supreme Court. There was a law in Los Angeles that essentially stated that hotels are required to turn over their business records to police, to the the uh, uh, police or uh, security agencies, whoever, without any warrant. They were required to turn over that that record that that tells people, tells the police who is staying at their hotel and the personal information about it. And essentially puts the uh, private businesses into the surveillance business on behalf of of the police force. So the Supreme Court came out and ruled that, nope, city of Los Angeles could not require its hotels to turn over their business records without some opportunity for review of the government's demands now on the surface that feels like a victory that feels like they're supporting the fourth amendment to the constitution however in the majority opinion justice sotomayor stated that while you couldn't require hotels or other businesses to turn over records without a warrant, she encouraged the use of what she called administrative warrants, meaning a warrant that is issued but not through the court system. A judge doesn't have to sign off. A judge doesn't make a a, uh, judgment call on the reasonableness or legal or constitutionality of the warrant. So essentially the the ruling is kind of a a yes and no. On one hand, it sounds like it supports the 4th Amendment to the Constitution, but on the other hand, they're giving police departments the the freedom, the ability to issue their own warrants without a judicial person involved. So I think that's a big, big issue because it talks about the reasonable expectation of privacy. And the reasonable ex- expectation of privacy continues to recede in importance in this country. We've talked from time to time about different forms of surveillance and how people are getting used to them, how kids in our school uh, are under camera all the time and by the time they're adults it'll be no big deal to have a camera on them 24/7. So, keep this in mind. Keep keep diligent about uh, rulings like this because It sounds like they're supporting our constitutional right, but in reality, they're kind of taking it away. Administrative warrants. Warrants outside the judicial system. The other ruling that I thought was fairly important, actually very important, was uh, the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs versus inclusive communities project Inc. now it's kind of a mouthful and uh, once again it, it's it's overshadowed by the Obamacare ruling and and gay marriage uh, ruling but this you know it, it, it's a little background FHA prohibits discrimination in all aspects of housing and residential real uh, estate-related transactions, uh, rents, all that kind of stuff. You can't discriminate. Well, now this ruling says that someone is liable, someone can be held liable for discrimination even when they had no intent to discriminate or cause harm. This is the old Men's Ray document. Remember Men's Ray way back when we was in college? Men's rea is the state of mind. And that's used all the time in murder and assault uh, uh, defenses where, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. My state of mind was such that I was temporarily insane, that kind of stuff. Well, this takes away the intent to discriminate or cause harm all the plaintiffs must do is show that one of the defendants lawful practices lawful practices adversely impacts one racial group more than another discriminatory motive is irrelevant doesn't matter so the the, what this uh, the court's ruling means that property owners lenders insurers local governments can and will be sued and be held liable when their legitimate neutral practices and policies unintentionally have a disproportionate adverse impact on some protected class. Now, th- this, is, this is one of those things that they're, they're holding up the 14th Amendment again. Okay, 14th Amendment guarantees equality under the law. This is the amendment they used to uphold the gay marriage issue was under the 14th Amendment equality under the law. Well, now they're distorting that and using that so people can sue. And man, don't think don't think for a minute that individuals and attorneys are going to jump all over this. Now that they don't have to prove any intent, oh, the, the, the game's wide open, wide open. There's going to be people that make a career both as an attorney and make a career as a plaintiff going around looking for things where they can, through a reasonable uh, argument with the court, prove that... A company or a government or an individual's practices adversely impacts them more than it adversely impacts someone else so this is absolutely incredible for private property owners and renter or people who rent um property to people and, and make loans to, to people. It's adversely going to affect banks and other lending institutions. Very, very important. I would say equally important to the Obamacare ruling, but it's gotten no press. Nothing. Everybody's focused on the big bonfire with President Obama and the Affordable Care Act, and gay marriage, you see, the, you see a picture of the White House lit up in a rainbow? Really? I mean, that, that that's presidential. But uh, anyway, thought you'd want to know those rulings. I want to come back with a couple other rulings. We had a major victory for liberty, fought and won with raisins. I'll talk about that next. It's an economy of one with Gary Rathbun.
0: Now back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun.
1: Well, we've been spending a little time today talking about the Supreme court. I think it's apropos that they came out with all these rulings just before the 4th of July gives us, gives us something to think about on this independence day. Um, a couple other rulings I thought was important that I wanted to touch base with. One is, uh, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I live in the Midwest and, uh, uh, we got a victory in the state of Michigan uh, this last week versus the EPA. State of Michigan versus EPA. The Cato Institute was uh, instrumental in in the uh, uh, decision of this case and in providing information and and uh, helping bring awareness. But the uh, the uh, state of Michigan sued the EPA, saying that the EPA was not taking into consideration the cost of its regulation versus the benefit of the regulation. Now the the Supreme Court decision on on this regulation had to do around mercury uh, emissions from the power plants. Now it's a clear victory for common sense. We'll see how long the common sense lasts, but the EPA claimed that it didn't have to take into account the costs of regulation versus the benefits. Now, this has to do with mercury emissions from power plants. So the direct benefits of their regulations were, according to the EPA, impossibly small to measure. Now, they measured it, measured mercury. I mean, we're all familiar with mercury. You don't drink the stuff. It's, It's bad for you. That kind of stuff. You don't breathe it, all that. But anyway, they measured it in relation to IQ points. And their, their, their savings, as they call it, was a savings of 0.002 IQ points. Now, the margin of error for this measurement is 5,000 times this value. So they're, they're within 5,000 times the margin of error. And that's in a theoretical population of 240,000 people. Okay. They, they, They essentially said that they didn't have to consider the costs. Now, the court held that the Clean Air Act amendments of 1990 clearly requires the EPA to take into consideration the costs versus the benefit. And it was totally inappropriate, that's the court's words, totally inappropriate reading of the statute. The EPA had to take into consideration the cost of their regulations versus the benefits. Now I will I will grant that there are some people in Michigan, mainly politicians, where point zero zero two IQ points, might make a big difference in their performance. I did say might. Not sure. Not willing to spend the money on the research. But point zero zero two IQ points, plus or minus 5,000 times that. Very important. Very important. Actually, it is a very important ruling. I don't want to make too light of it, but it is a... A victory for common sense we'll see the EPA doesn't like losing they got a lot of power let's see what they do with it the other final ruling I wanted to talk about today is a case that's been going on for a long time we've talked about it a long time ago on this show uh, It has to do with Marvin and Laura Horn H O R N E. I believe they're out in California uh, and they're raisin growers. Now I know you don't grow raisins, you grow grapes and you dry the grapes and and create raisins, but the 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 issue at hand was the government required them required them to turn over I think 40% of their finished product and the government destroyed it without compensating the farmers. Now the the government's argument, the USDA's argument was By turning over 40% of their crop, allowing the government to confiscate it, increased the price of the market for raisins. Therefore, the Horn family was not harmed. Okay, so they they had 40% of their product confiscated. This made the market for raisins higher. So the argument was they weren't harmed. Well... God bless America, the Supreme Court ruled 9-0 in favor of Marvin and Laura Horn that the government is required to compensate the owners justly for what they confiscate. So, the government can still take the raisins if they want, but they have to compensate the farmer. This is very, very important it's classic reasoning on the USDA's part. Uh, I don't know if you saw the other USDA story about regulating food in uh, uh, daycare centers now, not just schools. So they, they want to get your kids uh, used to, to lousy food uh, at an early age. So I guess they'll, they'll be more accepting of it when they go to school. But anyway, this is, this is uh, a very, very good ruling the the government had some uh, some really dumb statements during this case. Uh, the raisin administrative committee, can you believe we had a raisin administration committee? Raisin administrative committee said that well, let them sell wine if they don't want to give up their raisins, and that's just you know that, that's just classic attitude from the government on private property of individuals in this country so god bless them and took them a couple years and a couple hundred thousand dollars in fighting but they won coming up next dr betsy mccoy is going to talk about one of the big rulings that everybody's talking about the supreme court ruling on obamacare that's next
0: gary Raspin, an economy of one Now, back to
1: An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Dr. Betsy McCoy. She is the chairman of Reduce Infection Deaths and a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research, former lieutenant governor of New York and author of Beating Obamacare and Beating Obamacare 2014. Betsy, welcome back.
2: Thank you. It's not a good day for freedom, though.
1: Well, you know, it seems like oftentimes we talk... It's generally not a good day for freedom.
2: Yes, this was a particularly serious problem. The court handed a victory to the most hated and feared agency of the federal government, the IRS. That's the real meaning of this decision. It puts a rubber stamp on IRS discretion or leeway to rewrite laws to suit the president's political purposes. This happens to be Obamacare. But think about it. This agency, which has targeted conservative groups, and stonewalled congressional investigators and lied mm-hmm. and said its emails were lost. Now, of course, miraculously found all of that, and the court is rubber stamping more discretion for this agency.
1: You know, you're absolutely right. It's you're the only uh, author today that I have seen that has written anything uh, from the IRS angle. Everybody is, is gnashing their teeth about it being a victory for Obamacare and for President, but you were the first one that I saw that took the angle that this is the, the IRS is going to have a lot of power well, under this. It's
2: the IRS that did it. Yeah, it's the IRS that ignored the evidence in the law and evidence attached to the law that what they were doing is illegal. They went ahead and did it anyway. And they were warned by the Congressional Research Service, which is the research arm of Congress, that what they were about to do in making these subsidies available is illegal. And they went and did it anyway. And then they tried to cover up their paper trail. I'll tell you, Gary, what really um, is so disturbing about this is that this lie, this, this ruling is based on a pile of lies. The. President's lawyers lied and lied again in front of these Supreme Court justices. And the Supreme Court isn't a fact-finding body. It doesn't call up witnesses under right. oath. Right. It takes whatever is given to it by the two lawyers for the two sides and makes a decision. So this decision is based on lies.
1: Well, and, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, I read both opinions. I, I'm. I'm kind of like you, only not as extreme on reading the whole Obamacare. I still haven't done that yet. But I read both opinions. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they are interpreting the intention of Congress. And I thought they were supposed to look at it from a constitutional standpoint.
2: Well, they're supposed to look at the plain language of the law, which is not ambiguous. They say it's ambiguous. It is unambiguous. Right. And let me point out that despite the fact that the lawyers for the administration claimed there was some doubt here, right after the law was passed, 20 days after it was enacted in 2010, that loudmouth MIT economist Jonathan Gruber, uh, right, the yeah, chief architect yeah. of this law, he's on video explaining that states that don't set up exchanges will not be able to get subsidies.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, in reading the dissent, you know, Scalia's opinion i i think that his words were were uh incredible in his in uh his writing in the sense that words no longer have meanings
2: that's right he's totally disgusted with his quote colleagues <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah and and you know i you know just uh, roberts i mean he was the one that that started this whole thing several years ago in uh You know, I I don't know exactly what went on, but I got the impression he switched his vote at the 11th hour and and wrote it. We'll never
2: know for sure. We'll We'll never know, know, but... Somebody writes a book about it. But here's here's a lesson to take from this, Gary. Okay. And that is this. The Republicans running for president are vowing to repeal and replace Obamacare, and let's hope they can. If they do, the lesson is this. Don't give us another two thousand five hundred and seventy two page health bill don't give us one of these monster laws that's so long nobody can read it and so written so inscrutably that nobody can understand it give us give us a bill in plain honest english that members of congress will read before they vote on it
1: well you know and and i had somebody say to me on on uh, one of my other radio shows today well i don't see the republicans coming up with a plan and he says, you know, who says we have to have a plan? Why can't we have a reset? Let's go back to zero, go back to the way it was. We've learned a lot over five years of this this abomination here, and yes. then start to fix it from ground zero again. Now and that,
2: by the way, the Republicans, I don't usually defend them because a lot of them are these wussy go-along-to-get-along politicians. Right. But right. they did have a plan ready. They did have a way to move in and avert disaster. But the president and his partisans in the media spend so much time warning people about catastrophe that when you read the opinion of the majority, it's not about the law. It's all about averting a disaster. That is not the court's role.
1: Right, right, right. And, And who's to define what disaster we're averting?
2: Right. 7 million people could have lost subsidies eventually, not anytime soon. Right. But how about the millions of employers who have had to lay people off, push them down to part-time status because of this law? The impact on the economy and on hiring and on jobs has been devastating.
1: Well, and and my health insurance guy for my company, I'm just a small employer, got about 13 employees, was in my office earlier this week, and he says, Gary, minimum 25% increase. Uh, this year.
2: right? Minimum. And, you know, minimum. That's right. And that is happening all over the United States and it's going to be even worse next year mm-hmm. when the special behind-the-scenes bailout for insurance companies ends.
1: Right. Right. Well, he... and you,
2: you saw what happened. I was on a business channel most of the morning. Right. Fox right. Business. And you saw the hospital stocks take off, yep. the insurance stocks take off. Yep. This is a sweetheart deal for the big guys and it's Really a disaster for
1: us little guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the pharmaceuticals took off. You yep. pharmaceuticals are having a good month between the TPA, the Trans Pacific uh treaty stuff and now the Obamacare, uh, they're having a good month. They, right. They're they're gonna have celebrations in their board meetings. But you know, the my my guy told me there was one insurance company, I I forget who he said, but applied in the state of California for an eighty percent premium oh, yeah. increase. Eighty percent.
2: Oh yeah, That's, and you know what? Let's remind everyone: it's not the consumer who's paying that hike; it's right. the taxpayers. Right. The taxpayers are paying almost that entire price increase, and the people signing up for Obamacare are guaranteed they only have to pay a small percentage of their income.
1: Yep. Yeah. Now let, let, let's let's project a little forward. I mean, you are the expert on all of this from day one. You have committed your life to. To to learning this stuff
2: isn't and, that sad. And, well, <laughs>
1: think think how much money you could have made <laughs> yeah, if you'd have created something, yeah. Thank you know. You, Gary. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But I mean, it, it, I, uh, I've had several clients talk to me about this, and I said, "Oh, well, this is this is just one more step to all of us being on Medicare and or Medicaid." You know, I can't you
2: project know? that far ahead. I am still hoping that we can make twenty sixteen a referendum on Obamacare, and if we elect a Republican president and give that president a majority in Congress, we can repeal this. It is not so entrenched in our system that we can't get rid of it. We can get rid of it.
1: you think Congress, and I don't want to be too cynical here, but do you think Congress has a political backbone to do that?
2: I think with a Republican president in the White House, they will have no, no uh, option except repeal.
1: I, I mean that—that—that's that, the most positive statement I've heard anybody tell me that I believe today.
2: Good. You know? <laughs> but
1: I, Celebrate I mean, it, it. Yeah, I mean I, I'm going to hang on to that like grim death. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's I, 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 a lot of people called today, and and they're kind of anxious about this. And I said, look, what's different today than yesterday? Nothing's different other than our motivation for 2016 now.
2: That's yeah. right. We we can't depend on the court. It's a very sad thing, by the way. Yeah. That's why I was in mourning. It's a very sad thing that we cannot depend on the highest court in the land to interpret the law as it is written, yeah. regardless of the political consequences. But we are facing the reality that that is natural. And, and the only thing that gives me solace is they did it because the lawyers for the president lied through their teeth.
1: Absolutely incredible.
2: They really should be sanctioned for it.
1: Absolutely incredible and very disappointing, and and uh, you know the sad thing is, I mean, the media is showing people jumping up and down in joy and holding up their signs, and and the president, uh, you know, saying this is a great victory. Now, health care is a right, and that that's what I spent some time talking about tonight uh, is rights, and uh, I, I just uh, very disappointed. Uh, as a constitutional scholar, I'm sure you're aware of, oh, of the... Oh, I'm uh,
2: devastated, because our real right, Jerry, is self government Right. We, we we make the laws, our elected representatives make the laws, and the president's job is to see that they are faithfully executed. He did not do that.
1: Right, right. Did you also uh, uh, touch on or read the the other decisions as far as the, the Sotomayor decision or majority opinion on attacking the Fourth Amendment and, uh, of course, the other decision on on uh, discrimination. I'm very, con-
2: I'm very concerned about the housing decision. I'll tell you yeah. why. HUD is about to roll out a rule that will impose on every town in the United States mandatory economic integration. This is not about race. They are going to make. Look at every census district in the United States, mm. and the census districts that don't have enough poor people will be compelled to build multi-unit affordable housing, okay. and uh, and they will be required to take what is called, in HUD language, affirmative steps to make sure that any person who wants to move into that town has the support to do so. Right. So what about if you've spent your life saving and working to buy your family a single-family house in a neighborhood of single-family homes?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's we, we covered that last last segment, and, and uh, you're absolutely right. Everybody's looking at the big Obamacare fire, which is a big fire, but they snuck a couple this little things behind us. It's going to have
2: a, a very, very significant impact on our property rights And our our right, Gary, our right to live in the kind of town we want. If we want to live in a small town with small town amenities, we should be able to do that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Betsy, I know that uh, everybody wanted a piece of you today. And uh really appreciate you taking well, the time. Your and,
2: show is so great as a public service.
1: Well <laughs> thank you so much. And uh I'm gonna tap you on the shoulder. We're we're going to between now and November 16, uh I'm gonna do everything I can to help you and help the country and uh get that election to to the uh, meaningful conclusion that we got to have it. We got to have this.
2: We got to do it. We can do it, Jay. So, okay. well,
1: well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very you're busy. Welcome. And okay, uh, okay. We'll, we'll tap you on the shoulder again real soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Dr. Betsy McCoy, former Lieutenant Governor, of the state of New York, author of the book Beating Obamacare and Beating Obamacare 2014. Coming up next, i going to take a look back and see how dedicated the signers of the Declaration of Independence were. I'll talk about that next. Gary Rathbun,
0: An Economy of One. Now, back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
1: Have you ever wondered what happened to uh, the guys that signed the Declaration of Independence so long ago? It's been better than a couple hundred years ago. Do you ever wonder what happened to them, the price they paid for doing that? There was 56 signers to the Declaration of Independence. Five of the signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships resulting from the Revolutionary War. It's interesting to look back and see. These guys were smart guys. They were gentlemen. They were soft-spoken. They were well-educated, and they had wealth. They knew what they were doing. They felt that liberty was much more important than their material wealth. If you look up the stories of these guys, I mean, this was was incredible. 24 of them were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. And they all signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that if they were captured, the penalty was death. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ship swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Another one, Thomas McKeem. He was hounded by the British. He was forced to move on a constant basis. Finally, they caught up with him, took all of his possessions, and he was alone in poverty. Much of their property of the different signers, Ellery, Clymer, Hall, Walton, uh, vandals or soldiers looted their properties. Perhaps one of the most inspiring examples was at the Battle of Yorktown. Thomas Nelson, Jr. was returning from Philadelphia to become the governor of Virginia. And he hooked up with George Washington just outside of Yorktown he then noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over his home Nelson's home for his headquarters and the Patriots were directing their artillery fire all over the town except for the vicinity of his own home so Nelson asked the, the, the guy why are you firing all over the place and not in that direction And the soldier said, Well, out of respect for you, we're not gonna blow up your home. And he urged General Washington to fire on his own property to get at the at the general. His home was completely destroyed, and eventually Nelson died bankrupt. Everybody, not everybody, most of the people that signed the declaration of independence had a tough time some had were, were isolated from their families one guy uh, which one was it he had like uh, 12 kids never saw him again never saw him again most of them had rewards uh posted for them, dead or alive and through all of this all of this they never changed their minds they never tried to convince the british or give up for signing the declaration of independence where is that attitude gone where has that commitment to liberty gone you look at the the uh, supreme court rulings Uh, Just in the last couple of weeks and, and the last few years. Look at these rulings. Pieces of our liberty are being taken away from us on a consistent basis. And we do nothing. We do nothing. I forget who said it and how it was said. I'm going to paraphrase. But all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. I'll even be politically correct. Good people. To do nothing. As we look at this, as we see Fourth Amendment rights being taken away, Fourteenth Amendment uh, rights being uh, misinterpreted, Second Amendment rights being attacked, First Amendment rights being attacked, how many of you know your amendments? How many of you know what your rights are? If you don't know what your rights are, you won't know when they're taken away and maybe you won't miss them. But I think it's critical that, especially now, this time of year, as we celebrate Independence Day, as we light the fireworks, what does they mean to us? Is that something that you're willing to fight for? even though maybe, maybe it just doesn't quite affect you personally today. I think it's critical that you look at this. Absolutely critical. And I need you to study the Constitution, learn your rights, know what they are, because if you don't, you won't know when they're being taken away. Thanks for being with me. Have a great Independence Weekend. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathbun. We'll see you next time. This
2: is our country.
0: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC registered investment advisor.